Good morning. Uh, welcome to the second legislative forum in a series being of three being sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Johnson County. During this 2019 Iowa legislative session, out of courtesy for all present, we ask that you silence your cell phones. My name is Eleanor Levin. I am a member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County. The League is dedicated to educating voters on political and ballot issues. We encourage informed citizen participation in government. Membership is open to both men and women aged 16 and older. We invite you to join us. There are brochures about the League on the table in the back of the room. These forums are designed to give local citizens an opportunity to discuss current state legislative issues with their elective, elected officials while the legislative session is underway. The co-sponsors for today's forum are the Sierra Club, 100 Grannies, and Clean Air for Everyone Coalition. I'd like to start by introducing our legislators, Senator Kevin Kinney for Senate District 39, Senator Zach Walls for Senate District 37, Representative David Jacoby, for representative for House District 74. Representative Amy Nielsen, representative for House District 77. Representative Vicki Lensing, Good representative morning. for House District 85. And Representative Mary Masher, representative for House District 86. We will start the forum with five-minute summaries from each of our legislators on recent legislative matters of interest to them individually starting with Senator Kinney. Well, thank you. I'm uh, State Senator Kevin Kinney. I serve Senate District 39, which is uh, Western and Southern Johnson County, Washington County, and Keokuk County. I uh, currently am the, the ranking member of the Judiciary Committee for, the, for my caucus. I'm ranking member of Ag. I'm on the Transportation, Ethics, Ag and Natural Resource Appropriations, and I picked up another committee last week since uh, Senator Danielson uh, uh, retired, uh, and I am now on veterans. So that's a brand new committee for me. So I've been to one meeting. There, there's been a number of uh, uh, bills that have come through judiciary. Uh, I believe there's a, approximately 130 bills that uh, have been filed in the judiciary committee. So I get to. Uh, assign those bills and try to keep track of as best as I can what's going on. It's kind of playing a balancing game with the two committees being the ranking member. Uh, probably the biggest bill that I've sat on is the uh, judicial nominating, uh, how judges here are picked here in Iowa. And it's been very uh, frustrating to me because I've felt we've had one of the best systems in the country. In doing research for, for this, I go back to uh, and look at some of the statements that uh, Senator Grassley has said about this, how, it, uh, how it, when he was in the State Senate, how they had passed this uh, bill through a uh, constitutional amendment to our Constitution and, and how they were looking out into the future and how, uh, how fair it is. And now, and now we go into this and it was like, this just does not make sense. Um, 
I'm, I'm worried about money coming into it. When you have political leaders appointing judges, how much money is that person going to have to give to that political leader to be appointed? Uh, and, and where politics really plays into it. Uh, another bill that, on the ag side of it, uh, is the hemp legislation that passed out of committee last week uh, at the state uh, legislature and the agriculture committee. Uh, that is a bill that uh, I worked on for three years. Uh, it is a bipartisan bill, uh, which may surprise some, but it really doesn't surprise me. It's it's a it's a bill, and trying to it's. Hemp is an old crop and that is now becoming legal again, I, I believe. Uh, we are going to see people coming in from all over the country uh, trying to invest in infrastructure and production of hemp. There's 25,000 different uses of hemp. Anything from fiber to food. Uh, and and it's, it's a very useful plant. Uh, one of the, the biggest people that I have pushing back on it is the cotton industry because the clothing that is made from hemp is more durable. Uh, one of the bills that's coming this week again is going to be the death penalty bill uh, and we're going to be debating that bill uh, in committee along with uh, last week at the end of the week was the E-Verify bill for uh, employers that have to use the E-Verify system, uh, which uh, came out of uh, subcommittee, so it'll be in our committee next week. Uh, I, I look forward to hearing your guys' concerns, and uh, I will pass it on to Zach. If I may, just for one moment, if we want to remind the legislators to speak directly into the microphones. My apologies. Duly noted. Thank you. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'm State Senator Zach Walls. I'd like to welcome you all to Senate District 37 here in Coralville. Uh, thank you for being here. Um, Senate District 37 includes Coralville, uh, Western Iowa City, Solon, and kind of northeastern Johnson County, uh, all of Cedar County to the east, and the little town of Wilton down in Muscatine County, so it's a big area. Um, one of the things I want to kind of start off by saying is that one of the, the things that I've learned in the first few weeks in the legislature is just how much love and affection there is for Senator Bob Dvorsky uh, out in that building, all the respect that he had. Uh, and so it's a big uh, responsibility trying to fill in his shoes. We're, we just finished up our sixth week at the legislature, but I've been really enjoying the work and, and have some really great colleagues on uh, both the Senate and the House who I'm working with. Uh, the committees that I'm serving on are uh, Ways and Means, which is taxes, appropriations, which is spending, agriculture with Senator Kinney, uh, education, and I also got a new committee this week with the, the unexpected retirement of State Senator Jeff Danielson. I'm now serving on transportation, so our, our roads and bridges uh, are, are part of uh, my portfolio now as well. Uh, the learning curve is, is really steep. Uh, I've been trying to figure out just how to stay on, on top of, of all of the, the, uh, the bills that are, are being moved through. I don't, I'm not on judiciary, so we don't have any committees, 130 bills uh, for me, thankfully, but I've been learning, you know, uh, how the place works, uh, you know, where the coffee is, uh, how to file legislation. I actually just filed my first couple of bills uh, this past week, 
including my very first bill, which I'm very, very proud about, which would instruct the governor to amend the Iowa energy plan to get us to 80 percent renewable energy by 2030 and 100% renewable energy by 2050. Um, frankly, I, I kind of wish that the, we could even accelerate that a little bit, but I think you know, got to start, got to start there. Um, I don't have any illusions about that becoming law, but I think it's really important for us, especially when the when we are in the minority, to stick out where we are and what we believe has to happen. Uh, and for me, climate change is something that's a, a really big concern of mine, and I think that our state here in Iowa has a big role to play in figuring out how do we address this in a way that's going to be a win-win for, for all of the folks who are being affected by it. I really think that our farmers are going to play a really big role in helping to figure out how do we sequester carbon, get it back into the soil. Uh, if you look at wind energy, which has been a huge boon for our state, uh, back when, when Democrats were, were kind of in control of the state, we had a vision. We were able to work across the aisle uh, to make now in Iowa 40 percent of our electricity generated comes from wind turbines. Uh, so how do we continue to grow that, get those those income streams going into both our rural communities and uh, into our urban areas? Uh, so there's a lot of, of ex I think really important things that have to be talked about when it comes to our renewable energy. Um, I, I've been serving with Senator Kinney. He brought me in on the industrial hemp bill. Uh, so it was really a, a pleasure to see how the bill got drafted. It really speaks to the, the respect that uh, folks on the other side of the aisle have for Senator Kinney, that they were willing to involve us. And literally, we're sitting in the room writing the bill with the, the drafters. So it was very cool for me to see how that gets done. And, and something that Senator Kinney didn't, didn't mention is the, the impact on the soil quality from, from hemp uh, we think is going to be very positive. So uh, there are, I think, some really good things happening there. Uh, I, would, I would underscore the concern about judicial nominating. I know that the league has been very active in trying to raise the alarm about that. Uh, for those of you uh, who are kind of keeping track of this at home, Iowa has a national model for how to take politics out of the court system. Uh, and voters approved that. Some folks in this room might have voted for that in 1962. Uh, and that was something that really helped Iowa become uh, the national leader. The thing that's really scary about the current proposal is that Republicans are trying to override the will of the voters without going back to the voters to ask for, for their input on this topic. And so I don't think that we should even be having this conversation unless we're talking about amending the Constitution and going back to the voters. Uh, a few other things that uh, are, are on the agenda that I, I'm sure that we'll, we'll get to. Education funding uh, is moving forward. The good news is that it's on time. The bad news is it doesn't even keep up with inflation. Um, and then uh, I'll let everybody else kind of kind of share those, their priorities, but those are, are what I'm looking at right now. Well, thank you, uh, Dave Jacoby, state representative from Coralville, Iowa. I really appreciate the crowd today and the lovely Iowa weather that we've been having this winter. In fact, uh, my daughter Ellie came home for a weekend visit yesterday, and we were eating dinner, and I started talking about the weather and how worried I was, what it was going to look like Sunday when she's going back, and she said it looks good. I said, but you know, it's northwest wind. I don't want you driving on 80. And she goes, for the love of gosh, you sound like Grandpa George. <laughs> so in a split second, yes, I have become my dad. So I'm still worried about her driving back tomorrow, but what the heck. Uh, it, it's been a very busy startup for the first five or six weeks at the State House. I'm working on pushing forward so Iowa can establish B corporations. It's a different form of corporation that combines both the private sector and the public sector. And I truly believe that that will help with our childcare situations in both urban and rural areas. 
and it also can help with rural housing, help encourage people to build and rehab homes in areas that are declining right now. Also working on the Midwest Rail Pack, for whatever reason, it was a bipartisan agreement that uh, Libby Jacobs and myself worked on years ago across the aisle, and everyone here that was there supported it, uh, just to join the Midwest Rail Pack. It doesn't mean you have to support uh, passenger rail. It doesn't mean you have to support farm-to-market rail. It means you're at the table talking about the future of rail in Iowa and the Midwest. It costs, the membership costs 15000 a year, and again, this year we have a bipartisan group, <clears throat> including everyone here at the table, saying yes, we want back in the Midwest Rail Pact. Uh, I also have a controversial bill that I filed. Is Supervisor Sullivan in the crowd? No, because he's my biggest critic and he has some very good points. And Rod is a super good guy. Uh, I filed a bill that would freeze property taxes for retirees so that they could afford to live in their home. Just a note, it is, <clears throat> excuse me, it's meant to be a shell bill where we're working on details, the details of what it would look like. It wouldn't mean that uh, a multimillionaire would have their property taxes frozen. There would be some means testing, but I've heard from a lot of people in Coralville and Iowa City that are in retirement that we all want our homes to increase in value, but their increases in value were going up at such a pace that they were worried about their incomes, their fixed incomes, being able to cover that cost. So I think it's a good discussion to have, and I look forward to hearing from you on any other issues today that you're interested in. Hi, I'm going to get up here first. Um, Amy Nielsen from North Liberty, and I have uh, the towns of Swisher, Lone Tree, Oxford, and Tiffin also. Um, I have the better half of Senator Kinney's Senate District. Um, <laughs> and he knows it. Um, so, so and, I, and I agree. <laughs> we can all agree with that. Um, so um, I'm no longer a, a freshman legislator, but I am still learning an awful lot this year. Um, I am now, I'm on two new committees this year, Ways and Means with Representative Jacoby, and I'm ranking member of Commerce, again, with Representative Jacoby. Um, so those two committees have, have thrown a lot my way that I've never had to experience before. So I've been spending a lot of time trying to um, learn up on uh, things that, that they deal with in those committees. Um, also serving on local government and state government with um, Representative Lensing and Representative Masher. Um, and we're seeing an awful lot of activity in state government. <laughs> some of it is, is, is um, good things and some of it is a lot of, um, <coughs> seems really loud now. Okay. Okay. And some of it is, is kind of a waste of time. Like I, sp I spent some time on a bill that would require, if a new administrative rule was written, then two previous rules must be repealed. Just arbitrarily pick two out and repeal them. And it's just getting a little bit frustrating that we're dealing with bills like that. Um, it seems like a waste of our, our time and our energy. Um, we're there to try to make things better, not just make things stupid. Um, uh, again, with the judicial nominating process, very alarming. I attended a uh, debate with some, someone who was 
brought in from Vanderbilt University, so someone from out of state coming and trying to get us to change our model bipartisan uh, process for nominating judges in this state. Um, and also then someone who actually serves on the Judicial Nominating Committee. And um, to, to say that their arguments are, are rooted in um, fallacy would be an understatement. There's, there's some pretty big leaps that you have to take in order to swallow their justifications. Um, but apparently some of my Republican colleagues are really good jumpers um, because they're, they're taking it hook, line, and sinker. Um, other than that, I think Representative Masher will have a good rundown on what's happening in state government. And we're really not doing anything in local government, are we? Yeah. So um, again, uh, glad to be here and, and ready to listen to your questions. Thanks. I'm Vicki Lensing, and I want to say it's so nice to see all of you. I know some of you have made it, but the last couple of weeks with weather has been really difficult for people to get to Des Moines, sometimes us included. So it's nice to have such a good group here today, and maybe you'll, we'll get some of your questions that you weren't able to ask us at the Capitol. I serve on <coughs> local government, which, as, as Representative Nielsen alluded to, we don't meet often, and there aren't very many bills. I serve on government oversight. I think we haven't met at all. Uh, so the other two committees that I'm on are environmental protection and state government. Environmental protection, uh, we do have a bottle bill that was filed. I believe the subcommittee has met once or twice, but in talking to the chair, I don't think it's going to go any farther than that. It raises the handling fee from one cent to two cents, uh, which was a good thing. It did not expand the containers, I don't think, but so it was a limited expansion uh, bill but I don't think there's any desire to see it go any farther. So I, I'm not sure it'll even get out of committee. State government has been the busy committee this year. We have had lots and lots of bills. I usually, thanks to my ranking member, Representative Masher, serve on a lot of the alcohol bills. And a lot of that is just cleaning up the code and, and modernizing the code to reflect what's happening in the alcohol business now. And the other big bill that I'm on is on gambling. So Iowa is one of six states that's looking to, um, six states have it, but Iowa is going to join those states in expanding our, our gambling. So it's looking at sports wagering and fantasy sports, and this is huge. So we've gone from four bills to one bill. We've already had two, two, two hour subcommittees on this. And so the, it's, it's taking in, it's defining what is included in sports wagering but also building in protections, making sure that, that for people who don't choose to participate, there's self-exclusion processes. That's how you register your accounts at the casinos. It's a, an age limit of 21 and above. And it's for someone who I don't participate in gambling, it's been a learning curve, understanding all of this. And certainly for those who, who do like fantasy sports and sports wagering, they have it, they have been active subcommittees. I um, Representative Kaufman is on the bill. He's the chair of that bill, and I wish he were here. He could answer questions probably better than I on where this is going. I think uh, after two subcommittees, I think we're to the point now where after her hearing suggestions from different groups, we're probably looking at how to amend the bill, and then it will come to committee. I think he wants to vote it out of committee next Thursday. So we've got a limited time to make any changes or amendments to it before it comes out of committee. Uh, it, it is amazing uh, 
just the volume of bills that we've had. The other bill that, that I was assigned was on adoption, and it's it was developing a process for adoptees to get their original birth certificate. That, too, was really interesting, something I hadn't experienced before. And, and we had lots of people come to that subcommittee meeting. Um, and the subcommittee meetings I've served on are all bills. They have been huge subcommittees. And we meet in the lounge. If you've been to the Capitol, it gets very crowded and very noisy. It's hard to hear. Uh, so I appreciate, at least on the gambling bill, that we were able to meet in the Supreme Court, and a two-hour block was given, so we were able to hear really from everyone who had um, who had an issue with the bill or a suggestion for it. I look forward to your questions on these bills and other bills as they come up, and again, thank you for being here today. And I'm State Representative Mary Masher. I represent House District 86, which is the southeast side of Iowa City, and then the towns of Hills and University Heights. And again, I thank you all for being here. Thank you to the league. Eleanor, thank you for moderating today. And then thank you to the environmental groups that are here and have questions for us. I was going to give you a little bit of an update, but I know you'll have lots of questions about where things are, and I hope we'll be able to answer those. Um, Bobby Kaufman sends his regrets. He is ill today. Um, he had texted me this morning and said, tell everyone I'm sorry I'm not there, but I don't want to expose him to the flu. <laughs> so I think we all appreciate that. <laughs> and then grannies and league, and I know credit unions were in Des Moines this week. I think the leagues had to cancel because of the weather. Um, you're welcome anytime. You know that. So I'm hoping you'll be able to reschedule that and get up there. Uh, this week was an interesting one because we got our budget targets, which is pretty early for us in terms of being able to get those budget targets. They're the targets from the House and Senate in regards to how our dollars are going to be spent in the 2020 uh, fiscal year. And we have a $7.6 billion budget right now that we're looking at. And with those dollars, it's interesting because the governor came in at her level the House came in $9 million above, that's the House Republicans, above the governor's request. And the belief is, is that the Senate will be the low ball and they will come in below the governor's request. So we'll be able to do some negotiating and hopefully get some additional dollars for education, Medicaid, those kinds of issues that are near and dear to our hearts here in Johnson County. Um, I wanted to let everyone know that the SAVE bill, which is our infrastructure bill for K-12 schools is in Ways and Means in the House this week, and it should come out. I think David mentioned in our other forum that that should be passed out and will probably be debated on the floor of the House at some time this week. So stay tuned for that. That's one that we've been waiting on for a long time. Um, it allows schools to be able to upgrade their buildings and build new. Uh, the judiciary nomination process in Iowa has been so good. And it's amazing because the public believes that. You have been contacting us, Republican, Democrat alike, and have said, why are we changing this? It works. And uh, I think there are a lot of Republicans getting those emails right now, and it's having an effect because they've been changing it for the district court level right now. We're hoping they will see the wisdom in making sure that we keep what we have at the, at the Supreme Court level, too. Um, we just have a fair system, and it's made up of people that the governor appoints and then uh, lawyers who select among themselves. And again, um, we've had some great Supreme Court justices. I don't think there's been a problem or any flaws in that system, 
And to me, it doesn't make much sense for us to try to change something that's worked. Uh, I was going to mention medical cannabis because there are pieces of legislation moving through in both chambers that would raise the THC levels in our medical cannabis oil uh, that we provide for patients in Iowa. And again, um, right now the THC levels are so low that you have to have a large volume of whatever medication it is in order for it to work. That just doesn't make much sense and it's not real workable. Um, MedFarm is our uh, one of our groups in Iowa in the Des Moines area that produces this medical grade marijuana for patients. And they, if you ever get a chance to tour that facility, it is state of the art. It's quite amazing and a real educational opportunity. But they're looking for farmers in Iowa to be able to grow their crop. They want that medical grade cannabis and they really believe that there, if there are farmers here willing to do that, they would engage in contract with them. But again, they need the higher levels of THC in order for that to happen. Um, with water quality, they presented at the Ag meeting this week and it was UNI, Iowa State and Iowa. And in that meeting, they identified that there are more uh, nitrates and potassium going into especially the Missouri watershed, but also the Mississippi watershed, and guess what? It's coming from Iowa. And so monitoring is critical, and we've got to have a baseline in order to show if we're making any improvement. So I think these are the kinds of things that are really important and for us to consider because I look out at this audience and I think about our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, quite frankly, that are going to be faced with these issues if we don't address them now. So thanks for coming today. I'm glad to see you all here and look forward to your questions. Thank you all so much for your updates. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, at this time, we will begin questions. We will begin with one from the league, and then followed by one from each co-sponsor, followed by questions from members of the audience. In order to maximize the number of questions, you will be timed. Carol Butler, a league member, is our timekeeper today. You have one minute to state your question. If after one minute you have not stated your question, I will prompt you to do so. Please be respectful. As you come forward, please speak directly into the microphone, introduce yourself, and if you are representing an organization, tell us which one. You may direct your question to any or to all of our legislators, and if you have a second question, please wait until others have had a chance to ask theirs. Legislators then each have two minutes to respond. Out of respect for all present, please do not interrupt the speakers. Um, I will begin with the league question. Iowa's bottle bill is currently 40 years old and in need of <coughs> updating and expanding to include other containers. A number of recycling centers in the state have closed, although they supply jobs to disabled workers because the centers are no longer cost effective. Which of the three proposed bills is likely to make it through? So as I said in environmental protection, I think it's House Study Bill 80. 80 or 81 that's that's probably mm -hmm. the one that has met now in subcommittee but in talking to the chair I don't know that there is any desire to bring it out of committee and then I don't know that there's any reason it would come to the floor and it's the one that would increase the handling fee from one cent to two cents I know the redemption centers are really, really struggling we need to raise that but I think um, a lot of my colleagues are not looking at, at raising any fees and I I don't 
I would be pleasantly surprised if we if it moved out of committee. Okay, thank you for your answer, Representative Lensing. Um, the co-sponsor questions can go ahead and come to the microphone at this time. Good morning, I'm Tom Karsner with the uh, Iowa City Group of the Sierra Club. The uh, latest ploy to prop up our monopoly utility uh, companies is to eliminate net metering. And just a quick uh, uh, replay here, net metering is when uh, you produce more energy from your solar panels than you use in your home, you sell it back to the utility company. And the proposal is to eliminate that payback to the consumer. Their uh, rationale, such as it is, is that it would uh, enable them to create large utility scale solar fields uh, on their own. And, uh, but the problem is this would essentially kill the growing solar energy industry in the state. There's 850 jobs uh, in, in the state of Iowa. I got a couple points, you know, what is the status of that? Where do you think this will go? And maybe the party uh, uh, votes are already locked in. Is there something more that we can do besides calling the utility company and giving them heck over it? Uh, and any other suggestions you might have on defeating this bad process? So I think this is me. This is a, this bill is in commerce right now. Um, it's it's been assigned a subcommittee. Uh, I'm not sure if the subcommittee has been scheduled yet, um, but it will probably happen next week. Um, it probably has a really good chance of going somewhere. I mean, you know as well as I do. We saw Senate File 2311 last year sail through. Um, I, I wish I had better uh, suggestions as to what you can do to stop it. I keep keep calling the um, the Republican counterparts. Keep um, you know talking to your friends outside of this district and other districts. Um, if you have solar on your house and you are you know currently uh, enjoying some of the cost savings, you know quantify that for them because. Um, you know that kind of that speaks a lot um, to their to their rationale and, and their reasoning and their decision making. Um, it's it's not a good idea to take uh, net metering away. Um, I do understand their concern for um, wanting to make sure that the infrastructure that everyone, even solar um, users, use is is paid for. But I don't think this is the way to do it. Um, so we'll continue to. Uh, work on this. I think we'll have some, I mean, we'll have a conclusion at, at next month's forum, but um, just keep just keep letting them know how you feel about it and let them know your personal story. So, I, I think okay. the bill, the bill itself proves that it, solar is working. Uh -huh. It may be a little too well. So uh, I, I think we need to keep an eye on that. And also, you know, with solar, it's an annual arm wrestling contest as far as the tax credits and coupling with the feds and making a true investment to other energies. So I hope at some point we can have an honest discussion on solar and wind and net metering and what we want Iowa to look like. So Tom, I was just gonna mention that, you know how politics makes strange bedfellows? So Jared Klein is adamantly opposed to this net metering bill and I talked to Jared and he said, I think I've got a coalition of people who can block it. 
And the reason being, Washington County has more solar in the ag community than anybody, any other county in the state. They put it on, put them on their hog confinement operations. Go figure, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so in talking to uh, Jared, he has a counter proposal that the folks who are pushing net metering won't like, Alliant Mid-America. And so his whole thing is, I can push that and get it through ag, and we can have a standoff, and I'll dump my bill if they dump theirs. And so he's already starting to work on his members and getting that coalition. You know, with only 54 members, they cannot have as many flake anymore. And, as, and flake, I mean vote against their bills. And so as a result of that, um, we're seeing a little more clout in being able to block some things, which is helpful to us and, and something we should do. As somebody who has solar on their home, I can tell you it is a good investment for the energy companies. Does anybody remember when Alliant actually rewarded <laughs> customers for putting it on their, you know, their homes? They actually had an incentive plan to do that. And so now they're going totally opposite. What we actually do is help them keep from having to build another plant. And to them, that should be golden. Obviously, they're investing in wind energy. They're investing in renewables. We have a great portfolio in Iowa with 30% plus of our energy being from renewables. We should be incenting that and continuing down that road. I know Zach has some bills to have us be completely renewable energy by certain eight dates. I do too. We're all working on that and believe that that's the right way for us to go. I know Kevin's got a comment. <laughs> That's his area. <laughs> yeah, that is my area down there. I've been actually working with uh, Representative Klein a little bit on this. Uh, we, uh, down in Washington County, are the number one solar producing county in the state. Uh, this would have a devastating effect to businesses within our area where we have jobs that have been created because of the solar energy. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that I see happening is in the Senate side, the, uh, the farm group within the Senate on the Republican side tends to like the solar. So I don't know if it's going to come out of, out of the Senate or to pass out of the Senate side or not for sure. Uh, they have such a majority now that uh, they could have a few people flake and, uh, and it wouldn't make any difference. But uh, from what I'm seeing is that's probably going to be an uphill battle. And I would, the only thing I would say is this is part of a broad attack on, on the environment. Last year, SF2311, which Representative Nielsen alluded to, basically gutted energy efficiency programs in the state of Iowa. And it was our consumer advocate in the Attorney General's office who kind of spoke up about this, did some big, some uh, tried to warn the public about the effects this would have. And now Senator Jake Chapman, who is uh, responsible for that, has a new bill out this year that would basically defund the Consumer Advocates Office. So uh, there, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, which kind of says a lot about their priorities, so. Well, he's just a very unhappy person. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is. Yeah, so, you know, 
Uh, I would keep keep speaking up. I you know, and I would say keep letting the utility companies know. There's no doubt that we need utility scale solar in order to solve this problem, but doing it at the expense of individuals. And the important thing to remember about the reason why we want distributed solar on households across the state is because that creates more resilience in our system, right? If one area goes down, that means you've got more places that are producing solar at the local level that can keep the grid operating. And so it's really important for folks who are interested to be able to get that investment from the state. Good morning. Um, my name is Pat Bowen, and I'm representing 100 Grannies. And my question is to anybody that wants to answer the master matrix is scoring system that can be used to evaluate the siting of permitted confinement feeding operations and has not been updated since 2003. Due to the fact that the Iowa legislature is the only body authorized to make any modifications to the matrix systems, I would like to quote from the Iowa State Association of County Supervisors, or ISAC, legislative recommendations for the 2019 session regarding the subject of review of the master matrix. Isaac supports an effort on behalf of the Iowa legislature to sponsor meetings of interested stakeholders to review the current master matrix and to evaluate recommendations that may enhance the current system. As this subject continues to be of growing concern to some county boards of supervisors. As of this week, there are 25 out of 99 counties that have issued resolutions for a moratorium. So my question is, um, Isaac strongly encourages that it be reviewed this, this for by 2020. What will you do to ensure this happens and how will everyday people be represented as a stakeholder and not just industry people at the table? Well, the master, master matrix, I do not think is going to be reviewed under the, under the current layout of, of the legislature. There are things that I think can be done um, within, in reviewing, and it should be probably reviewed. Um, you know, I can suggest that we have a interim where we begin looking at this. Uh, I don't know if they'll even allow us to, to have an interim committee to begin reviewing it. Even though it's been recommended by ISAC? Yes. So what do their recommendations do? <laughs> <laughs> About the same thing yours do. <laughs> <laughs> so really it's just a committee that does nothing. <laughs> in the, I mean, because this, in my research for my question, it was the first time I'd heard about that. ISAC group. I didn't even know they existed and gave recommendations to the legislature on things to work on. So you're telling us that this committee, and I don't have the list of the people that are on it, but this committee puts forth recommendations, everything from taxes to factory to factory farms to master yeah, matrix, current, all of these. The current past president of ISAC is, is our sheriff. Uh, he, he sat on the at that position, I don't even know who it is for sure this year. I'm not sure who it is either. Um, but they, yeah. make, they make recommendations and it, it's, I just do not see it, to be quite honest, going anywhere this year. Okay, interesting, thank you. Well, we have to continue creeping to that 50 county, 50 counties signing up to tip it. And I was very proud to see recently that Calhoun County, home of Rockwell City, where my wife is from, 
don't say anything bad about Rockwell City, <laughs> but, but that they join that coalition. I think at the ground level, that's what we need the most. We need to slowly get to that 50 county level. Hi, my name's Jereen Dunning, and I'm here on behalf of CAFE ICANN, and CAFE stands for Clean Air for Everyone. So on the public health issue of preventing tobacco-related deaths and illnesses, this is a three-part question for everybody. Yes or no, do you support the $1.50 per pack tax on cigarettes, which would protect health by reducing the number of smokers in our state? Yes or no, do you support repealing the casino exemption that currently allows casino owners to violate their employees' fundamental right to work in a smoke-free, healthy environment? And this is the essay part of the question. In addition to these efforts, what other things are you as an individual or your party doing to actively help prevent tobacco-related deaths and injuries in the state? Okay, yes on a dollar. Yes or no? Yes. Yes on repeal. And in prevention, um, not necessarily cigarettes, but a few years ago we had a bill on vaping, which mm -hmm. is equally dangerous. Um, and I don't think, well, it didn't go anywhere. I don't think it's out there again. I, I don't think, I'm, I'm not aware of any legislation anywhere that deals with any of this, but, um, but I certainly... Uh, support prevention and and however we need to do that I think they were on the vaping weren't they waiting for a federal report to come out and I thought one was issued earlier this year on, on what is in vaping and what right. makes it dangerous and so you know that would at least raise the awareness on that but um, but like I said I haven't seen any bells on it but I'm very supportive right can I uh, sort of I'm in the third part in in addition to just legislation what sort of active education and you know, sort of advocacy are you doing uh, on this particular issue? Everybody, yes, no? I'm, yes, yes, and there is a bill in the Senate. Uh, uh, Senator uh, Tom Shipley has one, and it's dealing with the vaping. I believe it has come out of a subcommittee, but I don't know where it's, where it's at right now. And it's, uh, I believe no one, it's setting an age limit of 18, and, and I just I don't remember the details of of the bill. Uh, a lot of these bills uh, are, are that has to do with uh, cigarettes and and so forth. They just don't fall under the committees in which you serve on. Uh, a lot of the bills that I deal with, you know, it could probably skirt around some of the judiciary bills, but uh, on and the ag and the the others, no, I'm not. Okay. working with them there. much okay. yes yeah, so I think like I think probably everybody else up here I'm a yes yes on the first two and and you know I don't um, personally use vaping products I think that they should probably be regulated like tobacco products um, I'm not personally familiar with all of the literature surrounding the the health effects of vaping but I know that it's it's right up there uh, with cigarette use I think that in terms of what our personal advocacy is, I think especially now that we're in session, we're probably all mostly focused on the legislative piece. Um, but I do think it's important for folks who are in the audience to know how pervasive uh, this is. I mean, the devices that are used for vaping these days, pretty pretty small, smaller than your phone. Um, they're you know they're small. Uh, vaping is not fragrant in the way that cigarette uh, or cigars are, and so uh, they can be used very uh, easily without much kind of notice. And so. 
Uh, I think it's important for people to know this is a big issue. It's especially with, with young people. Like almost no teenagers smoke cigarettes anymore, but a heck of a lot of teens use vape products. And so making sure that they know what the health effects are because they aren't inconsequential is really important. Part of that comes from the legislative process. Part of it comes from people like you, the, the great folks at CAFE who are trying to make sure people are informed about this. That's really important. And so I'd say just keep up the great work that you're doing, and hopefully we'll be able to get some, some bipartisan cooperation on this subject in Des Moines. So, Jereen, I am also, I, I co-sponsored the legislation to up the tax to $1.50 and also to eliminate the exemption for casinos. So those bills are in the House and obviously are getting attention as well. But um, the vaping issue is the bigger one right now because we don't tax those products um, like we do tobacco products. And uh, what we're finding is kids are actually hiding them in their baseball caps, in the brim of their caps these devices and they said they're hiding them in classrooms and in restrooms and so they're a lot more difficult to detect it's not like smoke is rolling out of the bathroom it's not like that any longer and so um, a lot of kids are using them between classes and so that becomes a real issue as well but um, I think the more we can educate the public there's not a lot of longitudinal data on vaping right now that's still coming out. But what the tobacco companies have very cleverly done is put tobacco in some of these vaping products, which is addictive. And then they've also made the ones that aren't tobacco, they've called them bubble gum and all of these wonderful exotic flavors that kids are wanting. And so they have really and truly marketed to a younger audience and a very intentionally um, tried to get them addicted to the substance and then to, to tobacco, the ca you know, what they've got in that product, and then eventually to cigarettes again. So uh, we, we really do need to be vigilant and we need to educate everybody about it because I think there's a lot of misinformation. It's better than smoking is what we keep hearing, you know, but um, I think the more we can do to educate, the better. Uh-oh. I'm not a big fan of the dollar fifty. I agree it's time that we need to raise the, the tax and maybe we have to look across the board at syntax, uh, you know, wh whatever that may be. I don't think we can tax health morality. When we, and that's we, everyone that was serving 10 years ago when we raised the tax, a dollar was it, <clears throat> per pack? Uh, I think it's time to increase $1.50. I don't know if that's the number that's best laid out there. As far as casinos, <clears throat> that's why I can't talk. I was gambling this morning at Riverside. No, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, I was, I'm sure my dad might have been done there. But uh, uh, I, I think that the smoking in casinos needs to go away. And I, what I'd like to see is you've done such great work educating people on the dangers of tobacco. Uh, if $1.50 is the number, then I would certainly vote for that number now, but I think we need to look at everything, including vaping, to make sure that tobacco use decreases in Iowa. And I actually agree with Representative Jacoby. I'm not sure that the $1.50 tax is the right answer. I'm not sure the $1.50 is the right amount. So when you ask me yes or no, I can't give you either. I, I can give you a, I'll see what comes down the pipe. 
um, repeal it in the casinos, yes, I do think that we should probably do that. Um, and it is about protecting the employee's health. Um, what other things can we do? I, I, as everyone has already said, the vaping is a big problem and it's being very underestimated right now. And um, when I was mayor of North Liberty, it's actually something that we proactively did um, at the suggestion of the Johnson County, I think Board of Health, um, was expand our clean air, you know, um, the 25 feet um, outside of businesses, I think is, mm -hmm. is that, that's correct, um, to include things, to include vaping, not just cigarette smoke. So um, that was something that we did out there proactively, you know, that's, so that's been like three, four years ago now. Um, so I have been in, you know, supportive of efforts and involved um, in, in trying to make that happen. And, and again, I don't really work on, um, well, nothing's, let's just say nothing, anything can go through any committee. Let's just say nothing's come through any of mine yet that would address this. So definitely something I'm open to, lear open to learning more about. That's great. And I just want to make a very short comment. We'll send you the science basis for the $1.50 and how to use the revenues to decrease smoking. So we'll get that That'd to be you. Great. Thanks. Thank you to all of our co-sponsors for their questions. At this time, we will take questions from the audience. Please feel free to line up. I can't believe they got me on tape saying I agree with Representative Jacoby. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll burn it out. Yeah. I'll be playing it repeatedly this week in Des Moines. <laughs> My name is Bob Welsh. Uh, I'm a member of the Older Irons Legislature. Uh, I first want to say thank you to Zach. Uh, the news of uh, you young folks getting together for a future caucus and establishing the principle of bipartisanship is great. And so thank you. Yeah, we appreciate that. And, and Kevin, I know that uh, you have the reputation of really working across the aisle and appreciate that and would encourage all of you uh, because so many issues that a person like myself is interested in has nothing to do with whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Uh, it's whether or not you're concerned about people. Uh, so a lot of bills, but there is one that uh, Joe Balcom filed, and I'm told since it was filed by a Democrat, it doesn't have any chance of being considered. Uh, so I'm hoping that uh, all of you will work uh, with some of your Republican friends in the Senate and the House to take um, what Joe filed is Senate file 244. That is a bill that establishes a committee to come up with a comprehensive elder abuse law. So please, do so. Good morning, my name is Pete Wallace. This uh, will be directed primarily at Representative Masher, but you all can weigh in. I'm a pediatrician and chair of the Johnson County Board of Health, and for both of those reasons, I'm very concerned about immunizations, and you all are aware of the problems that are happening nationally now. 
When I was chair of the Iowa chapter, the American Academy of Pediatrics in the 80s, a small group of us pediatricians got together with some very loyal and interested legislators and got a mandatory school entry immunization bill passed. We managed to get it without a personal exemption, which 17 states still have, but we lost the battle, bitterly fought for religious exemption. I would direct my question again to Representative Masher. House File 206 uh, attempts to remove that religious exemption. Uh, frankly, what's the future? So at this time, um, as you know, the Republicans are in control of the House and Senate. And in the Senate, they have actually had a bill that would basically allow anybody to have an exemption for any reason at all, Pete, which would go counter to everything that you've tried to accomplish and have done over the years. Um, this particular bill that I have is one that says we're not going to do the religious exemption anymore. In essence, there have been more people claiming that, even though it's not really based on a religious belief, it's just that they don't want to do it. And again, I think it's a safety issue for our children that are in our public schools. If you choose not to vaccinate, that's your choice, right? But if you're going to have your children around other children in our public schools, then that requirement to vaccinate is really important. And in states like California, Washington, Oregon, where they've had some measles, mumps outbreaks, and, and again, measles can kill. That's, that's what I'm always dumbfounded by. Why would people jeopardize their children's lives by not doing what is, is important in terms of keeping them safe? And so I know the medical community is behind us, and obviously I've requested information from each of the counties to identify are our immunization rates going down for religious reasons in some of these counties? And so I'm getting that data from the Department of Public Health. They can you know, do the right. longitudinal study of that to show what is happening. But um, we've got pushback on the other side that are basically saying we shouldn't be having uh, religious exemptions. There shouldn't have to be, you shouldn't have to have a reason to have your child exempt from that. And I think that bill got killed in the Senate this week. Marion Miller Meeks is there. And as you know, she was the chair or the director for the Department of Public Health for a time. But she's also now a state senator. And so she is a, a physician. And so I think she looks again at what's in the best interest of kids. As an ophthalmologist, I would uh, raise questions about whether she is the, the most uh, appealing person to uh, weigh in on this. I would also like to point out, as you probably know, there are only two recognized re religions in the world that do not approve of immunization. And one of those is changing their attitude. The other one, Dutch Reformed Church, we don't have a lot in Iowa that we need to worry about. Uh, so I would applaud you, and, and uh, we'll be glad to help in any way we can. And then, Pete, what percentage of the population really needs a medical exemption due to the fact that they can't handle um, actually having an immunization? I, I can't give you the exact, but I'll tell you it is minuscule. Okay. And one of the problems, and California has dealt with this recently, is that any doctor can authorize a medical exemption. They have changed their law so that only doctors who deal with children, family practitioners, some internists, certainly pediatricians, 
because they've got a raft of uh, anesthesiologists, dermatologists, pathologists, and so forth, writing exemptions for their friends and neighbors, uh, stating they have a medical reason, and that's not been shown to be uh, valuable or uh, accurate. So, thank you, thank you Pete. Thank Let you. us know if we can help. Well, the person in the in the Senate that really killed the bill was a pharmacist, uh, <laughs> Senator Green from uh, Burlington. Uh, he did not like this legislation and uh, it came out 2-1 against so it did not pass. Mm -hmm. Hi, my name is Jerry Denning. I live in Iowa City. I've had a law office in Wilton for about 40 years and I am uh, naturally then interested in the question of the Judiciary Commissions. I suppose uh, Kevin might be the first person but I could like your comments from any of you. I can't get clarification on to amend the Iowa Constitution <laughs> procedure is you introduce pass the proposed amendment one year then it's published a second year then it's voted on by the people as a constitutional amendment in 1962 of course the current judiciary committees were set up if you go and get the 1962 wording of the amendment the Constitution of the State of Iowa sets out in detail these judiciary committees. Is this bill being handled as year one as a constitutional amendment process and then year two? Or is it just simply going to be legislation? Kevin, and then I'll follow up. Go ahead, please. Okay. It's, it's simply going to be legislation. That's one of the biggest things that the biggest arguments is this was voted in by the people, and now we're looking at wiping away what the people have wanted and, and changing it through legislation. So let me follow up that, is that the, if, from what I see, if that's the case, then the procedure would be patently unconstitutional. Okay, now, now uh, and I, and I hey. just, now, now, there we go. I, I'm not a constitutional expert. <coughs> I'm what you call an old country lawyer, okay? But that's my, that is frankly astounding because if the legislation were to pass as now and it was simply now we'll start changing the commissions, you constitutionally can't do that. So, Zach, I, I don't know if this has been brought up in the legislation. Yeah, so, so the, the last line of the constitutional amendment is something to the effect of unless otherwise stated by law. And this is what Republicans are hanging their hat on. They're saying there is a provision in the amendment that allows the legislature to change this entire thing legislatively. And there was actually a big blog post written about this, about how that one line got amended in to the constitutional amendment and, and, and all this and that and the other. Uh, but I think that could very well serve as the basis for a lawsuit if this does get rammed through. So we, I think, kind of hope that the Republicans actually don't notice that bit, but we'll see. It was after 10 years they could change it. That's right, yes, yeah, so, because this was adopted in 1962, right. and said in, by 1973, something to that effect. Okay, so. so there seems to be a crack in the door. The It couldn't be so cynical <laughs> as to do this, then the, the procedure would have to be challenge it. It would then be considered in the district court and then at the Supreme Court, and then you could argue that these elitist activist judges are pronouncing a system that got them yeah. into power, and therefore you see how 
to, to believe that that can actually be considered, of course, is, is, is mind-boggling, but I, I, I don't want to be paranoid I, I in that way. I don't think they're... <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just... No, just to, that, this is what they're, they're basing it on, and, and they've already brought it out. I mean, Julian Garrett is mm -hmm, the yeah. person that's pushing this, and uh, he's quite frankly come out and, and stated this is how they're they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, it it's you know we we asked Julian if, if his wife was an ineffective person on the nominating committee because his wife, who is also an, a lawyer, is on the nomination committee. Mm -hmm. Are are our judges being which which one of the judges is ineffective? Which mm -hmm. one no. do you want to pick? They um, they want to avoid having to talk about it for two years and have the people vote on it. But I understand that. But I, I, you've helped me a lot is that's actually going on. It was an old judge down in Washington when I used to present some of my arguments that said, you know, Mr. Denning, I'm amazed, astounded, and at a loss to understand how you can argue that. And I'm amazed, astounded, and at a loss to understand how that could, it's, it's really a cynical, upfront um, defying of the Iowa Constitution. But that's just me, I guess. I, I think uh, the, Thank you for those, and I think there's going to be a lot that's going to have to be looked at the way this is going. Okay, exactly. Jerry, I would encourage you to talk to your friends who practice in Wilton, who practice yeah, in the sure. more rural parts of the state, because what we hear is, well, you know, look, you got all these big city attorneys who are the only ones who can yeah. get onto the nominating commissions, yeah. and then that means that you're selecting judges who do things like legalize gay marriage and, you exactly. know, find a constitutional right to an abortion. And so what we really need to do is break it up and get more diversity onto our judicial nominating commissions from the rural areas who presumably have different kinds of values or this, that, or the other. But this is a Pandora's box, right? Once you change this judicial nominating system, there's no going back. And so I, I'm really worried about it. And I think if your more rural colleagues who are attorneys are able to speak up, maybe that'll help. The, the Bar Association's on top of this, and it is exactly right. There's, there's representation by Iowa lawyers from every possible small town, many republics, et cetera. This is obviously, if they keep pushing this, but they think they will, is going to be a major issue going forward. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you guys all for being here today. Um, we appreciate it. It's good to see you, Senator Walls. <laughs> um, my name is Rebecca Truskowski. I'm a lifelong Iowa resident. Um, and I, while I understand that um, responsible gun ownership is a proud and a long-standing part of culture in our state. I, I recognize and understand, respect the Second Amendment, but I also support reasonable laws that keep us safe. Um, Iowa's background check requirement and permitting requirements help keep guns out of the hands of people that shouldn't have them. Um, my concern is by adding the right to bear arms to the Iowa Constitution with the strict scrutiny uh, proposal, these these laws will be public safety measures will be removed so my question is do you support iowa's uh concealed carry permit requirement and would there be a possibility of amending the constitution to allow people to the right to bear arms without the component of strict scrutiny which i feel is a pretty extreme measure i actually co-sponsored a piece of legislation i believe zach has uh, done so again this year uh, on using the United States Constitution and using the exact language in our United States Constitution, which does not include this strict scrutiny. 
the permitting requirements are We, we cannot go to permitless carry here. I mean, we're going to have no control over anything at, at that point. You're taking it totally away from law enforcement. And law enforcement is the one that's going to have to deal with that uh, first. And uh, I think that uh, that's going down the wrong slope uh, and would be a mistake. I do not foresee under the current led legislature that anything is going to get changed or probably uh, they're going to continue trying to loosen up uh, yeah. the current laws. Just do a very quick uh, history lesson on this topic. La so, the, so the reason the strict scrutiny language is important, I'm not an attorney, but essentially this is a very high judicial legal standard that basically means it's much harder to pass legislation to have reasonable gun safety laws. And the concern is that if you put that strict scrutiny language into the Iowa State Constitution, you could start striking down the laws that we already have on the books left and right, including things like, yeah, you have to get a permit in order to purchase a firearm. And the reason that permitting process is so important is that's where the background check happens. Mm -hmm. So you could have private gun sales or sales from dealers that would not necessarily have a, a background check at all, which when you explain this to people, they're like, oh, no, that doesn't make any sense. But we, with the, it, it's kind of wild. So there are a lot of states that have put Second Amendment language into their constitutions, but without the strict scrutiny piece. And that's what's so important. Uh, last year, the legislature passed uh, this, this, uh, this began the process of amending our constitution. But then the Secretary of State, Paul Pate, <laughs> accidentally uh, <laughs> forgot to publish the legal notice that this had happened. And so it was, in essence, kind of a pocket veto, not intentionally, uh, but thankfully that means that this is delayed another two years, so they got to push this through again, uh, and then they'd have to do it next year as well, and then it would go to the voters. And I, I don't think Iowa voters are ready to go to a background checklist gun state, but I also don't want to find out if that's the case. Uh, so I strongly oppose, I'm going to vote no on this if it comes up, I kind of can't believe that we're we're having to do this, but um, no, I, I strongly oppose it, and and uh, I, I will argue vociferously against it if it comes to the floor. Well, you're, a, you're a little hard on the Secretary of State. He was busy not counting votes <laughs> in, in, in Winnipeg County, so oh, you know there's other things he was other things he was trying to avoid at the time. Uh, what, what's core to me in the whole discussion? is a number of issues coming through that we want to change our Constitution. And that is big to me. I mean, this anytime you want to make a change to something as solid as our state or national Constitution, then, then you better have a good reason. Now, I'm with Zach, Senator Walls, a bit on the vote. And sometimes I just throw my hands up and go, let's bring it to the vote of the people, because I can't believe the people of Iowa would vote for this. I think I, I think the problem is many people don't understand the strict scrutiny component, and, and, and I think the argument will be that most states do have the right to bear arms in, in their constitution, but only three states in the whole nation have the strict scrutiny component. Well, and do remember there's more bills than that just out there in terms of firearms. Yeah. One of the prevalent ones is the ones that, the right for people to carry firearms on school grounds. So that you know, it's little pieces in mm -hmm. there too. Uh, it, it, there's reasonable things we can do. The background checks, come on. 
I mean, really. That, that seems like something that everyone should be willing to go through. Uh, you know, waiting a week to get a high-powered rifle. You're going to get it. It's your right. But there's nothing wrong with waiting a week or two weeks on that. So I think the thing that's going to make the biggest difference, 2020 elections. Yeah. And just to clarify, it's two separate legislative yes, sessions. Yes, We're yes. two years. And so they can't pass it next year yes. and go on the ballot in 2020. It has to be two, two separate sessions. legislative <laughs> sessions. And so they'll vote on it this year. And then two years from now, they'll vote on it again. And then it will go to the people. So just to clarify that, I, I did put a bill in that says, since we don't allow guns on school grounds, um, that when kids come to the Capitol, parents need to sign a permission slip knowing that there are people who are carrying in the Capitol and that their children may not be safe. Um, I'm not sure that some of the people who are carrying should be carrying, and I think my colleagues will know who I'm talking about. There, there are some scary people up there, legislators included, who, who I don't trust a whole lot in terms of having concealed weapons in their possession. Um, I think, you know, to have, we, we secure the, the capital in D.C. Why can't we keep our capital in Iowa secure? We, we don't allow it in um, our city council chambers. There, people can come with concealed weapons permits. We tried to get those kinds of things out of the legislation um, last year. Those are just, it seems to me, common sense. Even after Mount Pleasant had people killed, you know, in their um, city council meeting. So uh, if you remember, that's how Tom Vilsack came to, to be, it was a, as a result of that killing. So I, I look at things like that, and it's just like common sense goes out the window. And it, it's really frightening right now. Um, I had somebody tell me, well, if there's a, somebody with a gun in the gallery, I'm going to be by those people with concealed weapons permits. And I said, who do you think they're going to aim for first? <laughs> think about it. They know who those people are. I'd be as far away from them as I could be. So I, I just think the logic in all of this has become just ridiculous. And it's really sad because... Our next generation of kids are saying, we're going to do something about this. You've let us down, adults. And there are common sense legislation that should be put in place. Let's get it done. Let's get together. The majority of the public wants it. Yeah. Even the majority of NRA members want mm -hmm. it. So yeah. the background checks, those kinds of things. So let's get it done. You know, Rebecca, some of the best advocates, though, are the young people that come up, the high mm -hmm. school kids. Um, and it happens every year. And sadly, it's because something has, thinking how I want to word this, um, something has occurred nationally using guns, gun violence, that, that makes kids want to speak out against it. And so I am always really pleased when there are young people, our high school kids, who come up and, and argue against some of these crazy bill proposals that we have. And they, and they are the future. So I am, but I don't want to wait for them. I mean, we need to do things to to put an end to some of this craziness on guns now. But I, but I am hopeful that these generations coming up realize that that what we are doing is crazy. And I think a, a lot, a big part of the problem is that the conversation is being directed by fringe groups. And so when you say the majority of Iowans, the majority of NRA members are in favor of background checks. They are, but you're hearing from this one group that's, that's spouting all of these skewed statistics to try to make it sound like what um, 
what we have in place is is unreasonable and so the public education is a key to um, keeping the strict scrutiny out of our Constitution and I know you're gonna work really hard to, to, to um, fix that and I really appreciate that and um, I hope that we can kind of wake up those 86% who think that when they hear this they think well that's just ridiculous that'll never happen because it is happening um, and and I, th I think that we just we just have to be vigilant we can't be we can't just sit and be complacent that that people are going to do the right thing because I think that I'm sorry Bob but I think that we've proven that the legislature is not always going to do the right thing with the power structure that we have in place right now a little bit of a partisan jab I apologize <laughs> I, I would add one more just quick piece. I, I'm, the work that Moms Demand Action did was, was really incredible this cycle. And the one place that I would especially point people's attention to where I know you did a lot of work was Amber Gustafson, who is the uh, past president of the Moms Demand Action uh, chapter, came within three points of knocking off the most powerful Republican in the Iowa Senate. They had to spend $600,000 to protect him. Uh, in a seat in Ankeny where four years ago he didn't even have a Democratic opponent. Uh, and so there, this is an issue that is getting a lot of traction, I think, especially in the urban suburban areas. Uh, and so just please keep up the great work on, on that issue. Thank you. All right, thank you all for your work and for being here today. Um, along with that very weird uh, bill about uh, judge selection, there is another bill that was recently introduced into the state, uh, House State Government Committee. It's much more trivial, but as absolutely as stupid and embarrassing. And I suspect you may not have noticed, uh, but House File 335 deals with uh, the window for placing candidates on the ballot. Currently, for the general elections, all candidates, major party, non-party political uh, organizations, and, and uh, independent candidates have a filing deadline. The window is in uh, August. This uh, bill, House File 335, would move the filing deadline up to March for non-party political organization candidates only, um, which is kind of weird, but it's very clearly aimed. Uh, it's coming from, I think, a fringe group aimed at the libertarians because they're mad at them although they didn't have much to complain about. But I would like to urge those in the House, that was supposed to die in subcommittee, but the puppy got out. It's in the House, uh, House State Government Committee. I, would, I don't know if you've seen it. I'd be interested in, and, um, if, <clears throat> I'd be interested if you have opinions and would urge you to vote no. It, it makes Iowa look like Chicago and Philadelphia politics, honestly. Ali, our member on that voted no, as you, you probably are aware, Bruce Hunter. Yes, our, yes. Our member mm -hmm. on that, mm -hmm. and yeah. Bruce is kind of a bulldog. Good. And goes after people in terms of the logic behind some of this and where mm -hmm. is that coming from. So um, I don't know whether that'll come before the full committee or not. We've got a lot on our plate. Right. And I don't know if this will rise to the level of we've, it's a must-do bill. So, right, that's what um, I'm I'm going to have conversations with the state government chair and see if we Thank can you. get something done to stop it. I thought it got out into the full committee. Am I it, it's, gone, it's gone through subcommittee, but he determines whether okay. to put it on the agenda or not okay. or whether we're even going to vote on it. Okay. And if he doesn't have the votes in his own caucus, he won't bring it to the committee. You okay. see what I mean? Yes. For a yeah. debate and a vote. Great. Thank you very much. it doesn't go to the floor and it's dead. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Craig Mosher, and I'm a social worker. And I uh, just, I think we all 
remember um, that the previous governor privatized our Medicaid system, and it's had some disastrous effects on uh, clients, people with disabilities, low-income folks, and other vulnerable people. And I just wonder if you could give us a little update on what's happening with that this year, and uh, is there anything that we can do to, to help fight for people that need these services? Well, I think I'm the only person up here yet who hasn't yet had the chance to vote against Medicaid privatization, but I look forward to the opportunity at some point in the future. <clears throat> I think at this point our, our best hope might be in our new auditor uh, sec uh, of uh, the state, uh, that was Rob Sand. He's made very clear uh, that he, uh, he wants to make sure that these MCOs uh, are spending the money wisely. Some of you might have seen in the paper a week or so ago the new MCO that's joining the marketplace is leasing some very swanky office space in Des Moines, which raises some questions about what they're doing with our taxpayer money when it should be going to taking care of our folks who need uh, help. So, uh, you know, I, in terms of specific updates, I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot going on. I know Democrats have offered a few pieces of legislation to try and, and uh, change some things, but I don't think they're going to get any traction unless the majority acknowledges that there's a problem, which obviously would be the first step in actually fixing it. What is going on is there isn't a single week that's gone by over the years. the healthcare costs and immensely better for the family in the waning moments of someone's life. And I still remember the MCO person telling me, it's not that big a deal, we'll take care of it next week. And I said, well, there may not be a next week. She did call me back the following Wednesday and I said, well, he, he died Monday. So these are real stories and real things happening to families. And I, for the life of me, I do not know why we can't look at some kind of compromise to make good changes to Medicaid and do it now. Yeah, Governor Reynolds very emphatically in her condition of the state address uh, said that privatized Medicaid is not going anywhere. So don't, don't give her any pass on this. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, my name is Martha Norbeck and I'm on the board of Environmental Advocates and I'm also a local green architect and I wanted to um, sort of think ahead a little bit about greenhouse gas emissions. Um, Senator Walls, I appreciate very much that you introduced a bill to um, set a renewable <coughs> portfolio standard for electricity. Uh, I want to point out that in, in residential uh, uses, 62 percent of the energy that we use is from, from gas. And in Johnson County, our heating, 74% of homes are heated with natural gas. So just to put that in context, uh, last year, 82%, I'm sorry, 82,000 families in the state sought assistance from LIHEAP. And yet simultaneously, we have this 
reduction in support for energy efficiency for gas. And gas is a huge source of greenhouse gas emissions, and none of these renewable portfolio standards are going to address the gas side. So my question is, has anyone been hearing conversation about this? What are you thinking about this? Is, how do we tackle this very big, quiet side of greenhouse gas emissions? Well, I, I hate to go against Bob's earlier comment about working across the aisle, but we are dealing with a number of people who deeply believe in clean coal. And I know that's a little different than what we're talking about, but it's kind of the same thing. There hasn't been much of a change, and I'll give it, it there's some age barriers there and some uh, other preconceived opinions. It is not in the top 10 for the current party that's in power to address right now. And what I worry about is watching, you know, my youngest daughter actually brings this up often. What are you doing, Dad? <laughs> we, we are kicking shins. And she's going, well, aim higher. And I, I, <laughs> I go, honey, you know, you can't say that. <laughs> but, uh, that but we, we are pushing, and the, the bills like Senator Walls' file, th those are ones we believe deeply in. That's how we move the needle. Yeah, so um, just a very small point of clarification. It's, I, what I want to do is not look at not just electricity, but our overall energy portfolio, right, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, for those of you, low-income heating and energy assistance program, yeah. Um, it's really important that we figure out how our buildings are a huge part of our built environment and, and making sure that we have clean renewable sources for those is really, really important. And, and so I think that we need, a, we need an all of the above, looking at everything that's happening, we have to do a fully comprehensive analysis and that's why I think that we need a, a carefully thought through plan, find something that's right for Iowa, that plays to our strengths. Uh, helps us improve on our weaknesses, and so we, we absolutely have to be it has to be part of the conversation. It's not just electricity, uh, despite what some folks think. And so I, I thanks for for bringing this up. Um, you know I think that we need to figure out uh, a way to try and help some of our friends on the other side of the aisle think about this a little bit more seriously. I'm hoping that by talking with some of the younger members of their caucus who are going to be around in 2030, 2050, <laughs> uh, you know maybe they'll take this a little bit more seriously than some of the folks who who. <laughs> Won't be. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not, I, I don't want to pro promise anything. What, you know, uh, Bob alluded to earlier with the Iowa Future Caucus trying to work across the aisle. I, I've got some hopes, but I also, the, the most important thing that we can do is to elect more Democrats across the state uh, because we're the ones who believe this is a very serious issue and who will take it seriously. So I'd, I'd echo Representative Jacoby's point on that for sure. Now you convinced me I better go get my physical. Yeah. <laughs> so make sure I'm healthy in these older years. We also have 90,000 families that have just lost funding because yeah. they were getting that funding through the MidAmerican and Alliant uh, Energy Efficiency Program and now they're not, they're, they're at risk of having less support to just keep Comfort, you know, yeah. you know yeah. above 50 degrees in their home. Yeah. Talk about a winner that challenges that yeah. even more than normal in Iowa. Yeah. Sounds like we might need a Green New Deal. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Justin LaDuke. Uh, I'm not here in any official capacity, but I am a graduate student at the University of Iowa studying social work. Um, right now, I am focused on uh, the issue of the school-to-prison pipeline. 
And uh, so as, you, as many of you know, uh, kids of color are much more likely to be suspended and to face uh, criminal referrals to the justice system uh, compared to white kids. And that number, uh, I think it's two to three times more likely, and it's worse in Lynn and Johnson counties, um, particularly for black kids, particularly for black girls. So uh, now the Federal Department of Education is looking at rescinding Obama-era uh, requirements that say their Office of Civil Rights needs to consider systemic issues that lead to these disparities with the rationale that while the states and local governments can police civil rights on their own, we all know how that works out in American history. So my question is, are there initiatives right now that are being considered to address this? And if, there, if not, what are you all planning to do? So Justin, I'll start in. Um, thanks for being here and thanks for going into social work. We need more of you. I'm gonna encourage you to go into social work, but with a specialty in psychiatric treatment because we need more therapists and more people working with children across the spectrum and adults as well so anything you can do in that regard would be appreciated um, Iowa City's been doing some good things and I think they need to be recognized for that one of the things is getting rid of their seclusion rooms and you're probably well aware of that that was an issue a couple years ago and as a result of parents and community members and activists giving input to uh, the school board and the administration, they have eliminated those seclusion rooms. We have not done that statewide. And that's one of those issues where I think there needs to be more done with that. I've again recommended a task force. I think there are rules being written as we speak for, and they're basically having the open period time where people can have input, but basically to look at what we are doing within our schools and how can we be much more, um, well, cognizant of how this affects kids and long-term. So one of the things they've also been doing is changing their policies on, on both suspensions and expulsions. And the district is no longer suspending kids for bad language, inappropriate. It's the physical where they've actually hurt them, someone else or you know, basically doing harm to another individual. They're looking at making sure that the punishment fits the crime. And they've had input from our communities of color to be able to make sure that those policies are right. And so that's one of the things. So I think when you see districts that are reacting and doing things positively, we need to reinforce that. And we need to, again, uh, thank them for taking the time to correct some of those wrongs. And then moving forward, how can we get others to do the same? Sure. I've been working closely with Stacy Walker, supervisor in Lynn County, and how to engage young people at an early age. My own history is I worked at uh, Metro High School uh, decades ago. I think I even had hair then. It's been that long, but worked at Metro High School uh, Metro High uh, through Kirkwood with employment and training and the one thing I learned in my years of experience there is that we need to work with kids earlier and we need to engage with them because the stories I heard across the board for a lot of the students were that they hadn't slept in a bed for three years mm -hmm. they're sleeping on couches or in consistency and this is you know many of the students I think what we need to do and again working with uh, uh, Supervisor Walker is that we're looking at how to engage the kids and the educators know best by third grade 
you know, between that fifth grade, th th those formative years where they're thinking about what their future holds, whether it's good or bad, because many kids in that third grade are going, I don't have much of a future. Mm -hmm. So we need to change that whole matrix. And what we need to do now is have more open opportunities for our students. And those opportunities, in spite of the barriers of transportation or having a mentor or being consistent, we have to be there every day. We have to have some, a mentor that's going to be there over the couple years instead of just for a week. And that, you know, there's little puzzle pieces we can put together, but it, we need to start early. Yeah, so, um, I'm sorry. No, no, you got it. Um, this is one of those issues that you're going to find. I may talk more than my two minutes. I apologize. It doesn't happen very often. Um, that first we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And a lot of my fellow legislators, not the ones at this table, obviously, refuse to acknowledge that there's even any sort of systemic implicit bias built into mm -hmm. society and all of our procedures, processes, laws, what, everything, everything. Um, when we have Representative Steve Holt that takes it upon himself to publicly question the University of Iowa's decision to hold a, um, a conference on white privilege, just because he doesn't like the term white privilege, right there shows you that we have a problem that, that is much bigger than, than what anyone is going to be able to um, address, you know, legislative-wise. I, I personally think that we need to start with um, educating people, and I think that some of my colleagues have done a really good job with talking about the ACEs, um, you know, adverse childhood experiences, and what kind of um, uh, issues that that brings up for people into adulthood. Um, but we also need to we need to stop the the moral. Um, judging and I hear so many of my co colleagues say well if their parents were home with them then this wouldn't happen well you know what their parents are out working four jobs because we have a low wage state um, we haven't raised the minimum wage in decades and um, I think since before I was born Zach, that's a long time um, <laughs> I just have to give him trouble um, um, and so there's there's all of these things that we need to consider that are putting obstacles in front of of our children of color and and it's starting from birth i mean it, you know it we we need to intervene in early childhood there we need to care about these kids because i honestly i think there's a lot of uh people that i work with that just don't care about kids if they're not their own um, i know that's kind of a harsh statement and and um I truly believe that. I truly believe that they don't care about the kids that um, don't have these same advantages that they enjoy. And I just got my stop, so I'm going to be respectful, but I could talk to you about this a lot longer. It's, it's a huge, huge problem, and, uh, and I think that it goes to just, first of all, acknowledging that white privilege exists. Yeah. I got one bill I want you to, to, to make sure that you're paying attention to. That's Senate Study Bill 1034. If you want to get your phone and write this down, uh, you should. Um, this bill is from the chairwoman of our, our education committee in the Senate, Amy Sinclair. Again, it's Senate Study Bill 1034. What this bill would do is it would eliminate uh, voluntary diversity plans as a reason for school districts to deny open enrollment. And I just want to read you just a quick summary of the bill. Uh, so essentially, there are a lot of school districts. So Iowa adopted uh, open enrollment in 1989. And 
Um, there are a lot of school districts in the state of Iowa where you have essentially segregated schools, right? Uh, and so what, what, uh, when, when you had some districts that were ordered to have desegregation plans by the court, uh, those have since become what are called voluntary diversity plans. Uh, and so school districts that have these voluntary diversity plans, if people are trying to open enroll out of that district, and the folks who are open enrolling tend to be upper middle class white kids, right, not low income kids who are often people of color, um, the school, if they have a voluntary diversity plan in place, can deny that family the right to open enroll their kid out of the district. This is essentially creating this is preventing schools from segregating vis-a-vis -vis the open enrollment process. Uh, this passed the state, uh, the Senate Education Committee on a party line vote with one exception. Senator Mark Lofgren represents this, the area, Muscatine area, uh, and he voted against it uh, in part because the Muscatine School District has a voluntary diversity plan. Uh, but I would definitely encourage you to do a little bit of research about this bill. Reach out to Chairwoman Sinclair, some of the other folks on that committee. Uh, I think if this law takes effect, uh, it's going to basically dismantle um, desegregation as it exists in the state of Iowa. Great, thank you. Hi, I'm Susan Ansel, and I'm a member of the League of Women Voters, and I'm glad to see you all here today. And this is just a general comment. I really like to hear the word vision mm. when you are speaking about alternatives to some of the um, discordant noises in the Capitol. I know that you are a minority. It's hard for you to get bills even heard in subcommittee, let alone out of subcommittee and to the floor. But hearing alternatives such as the parental permission bill that would require that parents give permission for their children to come on site to the Capitol because people are carrying concealed weapons there. Thank you very much. An alternative to the gun amendment that would allow strict scrutiny. Thank you, Zachs. Thank you, Kevin for going for the um, model that the U.S. Constitution allows, which does not include strict scrutiny. And I just encourage all of you, whether you're talking about minimum wage, think, thinking about, and I know you all do, what do we want Iowa to be like in 10, 20, 30 years? Do we want it to be another Mississippi, Alabama, Texas? If so, I'd live in Mississippi, Alabama, Texas. <laughs> I don't. The weather's better. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I know we need to create that vision and keep informing people of where we want to go. And then people will want to live here and will be proud of living here again. So thank you all for keeping that vision in mind. So the hope is, Susan, we picked up two congressional mm -hmm. seats, as you know, in terms of the women that were elected to those seats. And we picked up five additional women in the House. Um, and those, again, are seats that were held by Republicans. To defeat an incumbent is really, really hard, and it takes a lot of money. Um, I think one of those seats alone was a $1.5 million cost in terms of what it took for both parties to defend you know, that seat, and, and obviously we won it. But it's, it's a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of money. And unfortunately, that's what we're facing right now. But we're making good inroads. And that, to me, is a positive. I know we had hoped to turn it around in one cycle. It doesn't. It takes longer than that. And I think we all are aware of that now. But to put the energy and the time. And quite frankly, your emails and notes and cards and letters do matter. And when we get encouragement and folks from folks like you, um, it helps us. So thank you. <coughs> 
I would I would add one brief thing to that. Um, one part of my vision is maintaining Senator Jeff Danielson's state senate seat. Yeah, right. Uh, he uh, retired to take a resigned to take a job with um, uh, the American Wind Energy Association, uh, and so Senate. Uh, Democrats are going to be you know, fighting very hard to keep that seat if folks are willing to get up, drive up to Cedar Falls, help knock on some doors. Alternatively, I'm also envisioning a fundraiser at 11 a.m. on <laughs> Saturday, March 9th. A lot of you will probably be getting mail about this soon. Uh, Senator uh, Bolcom, Senator Kenny, and I will be down at Back Pocket in Coralville uh, from 11 a.m. to about 1.30. We'd love to have you stop by. Uh, have a beer, drop off a check, and hopefully we'll have we'll have a candidate by that point, so we'll be able to update you about where things are. But uh, we got to hold the line now and continue to expand that vision. Do people write bigger checks after the beer? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so House Democrats have been working really hard this year to offer alternative plans to some of these bigger um, issues that are coming up. Um, I know we offered an alternative plan to the SSA bill where their proposal was 2.06, you know, and we had a plan that offered three. It was reasonable and responsible, and um, they, they didn't want to hear it. But instead of just going out and saying, we're against this, we're against this, we're against this, we don't like it. We've been trying to offer, okay, so you, here's what you would get if, if Democrats yes. were yes. making the rules. And um, I think that we've been doing a really good job of, of offering those, those alternatives. I wish they were getting a little bit more attention in the press, um, but you know, they get voted down, so nobody, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make it, but, but we're trying, we yes. really are. And because I know you've had to be so reactive, it's just, you know, mm -hmm. legislative session right. after legislative session, you've had to react, and it gets hard to get, feel beaten down, but that's the kind of thing, Amy, keep going with it, keep presenting that vision out there so people have something to pay attention to that they can sleep on. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. That was a positive message. Um, thank you all for being here. I appreciate this time. I'm Cheryl Valenta with a group called Iowa 350. And so we work to try and address climate change issues. Um, we were heavily involved with the Grannies and with Sierra Club and lots of other groups in the coalition to try and stop energy transfer partners from uh, putting a pipeline through Iowa. And so that was kind of my in-depth look at uh, politics and um, things that happen in the state um, and how farmers are treated, quite honestly. Um, and so I come to you today because I have heard from a reputable source, uh, the chairman, uh, former chairman of Standing Rock, that said that um, Shell is planning to do another pipeline uh, that goes from North Dakota down to the um, Texas, down to Texas, to the Gulf. And um, there is concern uh, that, and this didn't come from the chairman of Stan the former chairman of Standing Rock, but there is talk that um, the plan is to lay a parallel pipeline uh, through Iowa and just kind of follow energy transfer partners. And so really when I look at um, the process of what happened with the pipeline and how basically the then governor, Branstad, said, you know, hands off legislators, let the process continue, and that um, kind of happened. My question is, I haven't really seen anything change with the process. My concern is that they could definitely come in and put a parallel line, and I don't know what could possibly be done to stop them, because all kinds of initiatives were uh, presented, and nothing really has been able to stop them. I mean, they don't even have the amount of insurance they're supposed to have for the state, um, and a landowner just tried to sue. 
for her land. She lost lots and lots of money um, and was granted a stipend. I think her land was worth 900000 and she got 25000 back from this oil company who's got tons of money. So I'm just, I'm concerned that, you know, I don't know what would happen differently if they decided to come in and whether they lay it parallel or just come through wherever they want to. And I don't know, like I said, I don't know what can be done to change the process. It seems very complicated and uh, a lot of hands are tied, but I would love to hear comments from you about what to do about that. Well, collectively, I would think we need more landowners to step up. We didn't have enough of the landowners. Of course, a lot of them were boxed in with uh, Stockholm Syndrome. They were beaten down so often saying, it's going to happen anyway. Mm -hmm. We'll have it at domain or we'll use some other way to do it. So people would sign off thinking, well, at least I'm going to get the best deal that I can. For the life of me, we have a group of people fighting off any transmission of power from wind energy or solar, but then they're okay with the oil pipeline. It seems to me each one ravages the land equally. I don't understand the mindset why you fight so hard. What we do need is more landowners to actually step up, more than one or two or three, and there were a handful, but you need a hundred landowners to step up and say, enough, I, and I'm not, I don't want my land used for this. It's kind of interesting because the pipeline goes through my Senate district in Keokuk County. <coughs> I didn't hear from anybody, and I went to meetings uh, in Keokuk County, and the people did not, they were wondering what they were going to get compensated, and, and there was a lot of questions, but there was nobody opposed to it. And it really, it just surprised me. Uh, it doesn't travel a long way through my district, but it it, uh, it it surprised me, and that's how you're going to get it is you get a lot of landowners. That's why the Rock Island Clean Line yeah. it only had 12 percent of the people or th that would go along with that plan, would, yeah. and uh, the rest the rest did not, and and that's why that. Died. It's just it's kind of amazing that you know with the wind. Farmers are getting a yearly stipend. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, with the with the pipeline, they got a one time. It and was what that it. land was worth, and I mean, it's explosive material that is going literally three feet under their feet. You know, it was it was shocking to me too, Kevin, that because I went to the I went to four different hearings, and. You know, I, I think, honestly, I think why that happened was because when those were laid out and the company actually was there talking initially with those different landowners about what was going to happen, the Iowa Utility Board representative, they were hand in hand. You know, the one literally was finishing the sentence of the other. And so when you see that, you know, it looks like something coming from the state. You know, when the utility board's standing there finishing the sentence of, you know, Energy Transfer Partners attorney, it looks like it's coming from the state. And, uh, you know, it was just, I mean, well, yeah. And, and it, it's a, the same mindset that the wind towers are diverting our jet stream. 
They're just a little bit apart, but uh, <laughs> but but that's the mindset. But I wouldn't disagree. Again, it, it landowners and if landowners don't step up, it, it's really hard to change that. Okay. The only the other thing on pipelines that I'm hearing right now is they're going to be de decommissioning a couple of pipelines that are, are bringing all the anhydrous into uh, the Midwest. Uh, there's there's very much looking at trying to repurpose a couple of them uh, and I don't know where that's going okay thank you good morning I'm Galen Wobetter with the League of Women Voters of Johnson County I thank you all for being here and for your service um, the issue I'm most concerned about is the judicial uh, the way the judicial process selection thing so I actually thought that because I was going to come to lobby day and we had to cancel it Wednesday I thought it was dead in the water I mean no I thought it was going ahead I'm so glad to hear today that there is some some chance that this will not happen that and I guess what I want to ask you because we we have time left what what specifically we can do to help that from becoming law uh, yeah I mean I, I I don't know I'm a, I know this is a complicated process it got out of committee and but I heard you say today that y there's a real hope that this law will not become this this bill will not become law so what what where are we at and what can we do well, this I think is, there's a fairly good chance it will the bill in front now is a little less worse but it's still immensely bad so uh, what I, what my advice is for anything, family members, friends from 98 other counties that are yeah. interested in this, have them contact their representatives, their senators, and some, uh, a note to the governor on how this is something that they're just not interested in, that this isn't good for Iowa, if they feel that way, and I hope they do. So that's... You know that, that that's right. I've already reached out to mother-in-law in Rockwell City. You know, some family down in Kiyosakwa, Iowa. Uh, that's that's the, what I think everyone needs to do. There are people on the other side of the aisle who think this is bad. Correct. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so, oh, yeah. Okay. I just sure. want to be able to know how to go forward and. Yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and I've been telling our our attorneys that especially have Republican attorneys contacting them because many of them do not believe the system is broken and don't believe it needs to be changed. And so they may listen to them, especially if they're from their districts, more readily. I mean, they've already changed it. I think there's an amendment that changes it for district court. Mm -hmm. And so we were able to get some movement there. Um, but again, I think the Supreme Court justices, that's still an issue and a problem. And the more people that can contact them, the better. Um, but I do believe some of their big donors need to be heard from and uh, they need to be sending that message that they don't want this legislation. Well, I think the whole notion of these activist judges, and, and we hear at federal level as well as mm -hmm. state level from our colleagues too, you know, I, I think we need to correct them when we hear that kind of conversation. And I would say too, don't leave the governor out of the loop on this either. So not only can you know, contacting your own legislator, your own senator, and, and 
letting them know how you feel. But I, but I also think, you know, put some pressure on the governor because assuming it will move forward, it's her pen that's going to sign it. And Gaitlin, let's be honest, it's about the abortion issue. I know. I mean, I think everybody in the room is pretty well aware that this is the reason they can't get the legislation through because it's unconstitutional. So let's change the judges so they'll rule in our favor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how cynical. Just How a little cynical. plug for the league. In 1962, when, when Zach mentioned the, this current law was put in place, the league was part of that. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we are very concerned as, as a state organization and a local organization and trying to do. I, so I guess there's a little window. <laughs> and Galen, not only was the league part of that effort, so was that radical left-wing socialist we all know and love, Chuck Grassley. <laughs> so uh, I would just <clears throat> remind, remind uh, our, our friends, uh, family members, uh, this was a bipartisan thing when it was put into place. It was approved by the voters. It was very careful, and it took politics out of our court. If we want to change the law, it should be uh, up to the voters. It should be bipartisan, and it should make sure that we're keeping politics out of our court. Thank did, you all. That I, will be our last question. Sorry, oh, Gail, you can finish your oh, statement, I but just that wanted, will be our last I did question. email people, yeah. and there's one person. The one person that got back to me on the other side of the aisle said, I'm with you. So that was so encouraging to me. And they weren't in our district. They weren't. Can, can we ask who that was? Andy, yes, Andy, yes, Andy. absolutely. Andy McKean. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was going to say. I yeah, and I know him a little. Anyway. Yeah, thank you. We can't squeeze in one more question? I believe Sque oh, it's squeeze it. We'll make it quick. We'll make it quick. Thank you. Hi, Holly Sanger. Thank you so much Hi, for being here. This feels like government for the people, by the people, of the people, and I really appreciate it. So my question is, the governor has said she's not going to pursue the heartbeat bill legislate on um, what happened in the courts. Do you anticipate more legislation coming out of Des Moines about this? Yes. Yeah. Constitutional amendment. Yep. Yep. Yeah, the kind of the thing we're just talking about is the end around. Yeah, so in the Senate side, uh, there's a personhood bill uh, that just made it out of subcommittee. That's SF 259, and there's a, a, a constitutional amendment that's been proposed that's co-sponsored by all but two of the Senate Republicans. So that's 30, which is more than enough votes that would explicitly amend the Iowa Constitution to not recognize the right to an abortion in the Iowa Constitution. And would that need to then go through the two-year? Okay. Yep. Two sessions, yeah. Thank you. Thank you to all of you, both those with questions and those with responses, for such an informative session. Thank you also to all those who engaged. Um, thank you to our co-sponsors, the Sierra Club, 100 Grannies, Clear, Clean Air for Everyone Coalition, and to the local television staff for making the video cast. Rebroadcasts of this forum will be run on Iowa City Channel 4, Coral Vision, and North Liberty TV. Please see their respective websites for programming information. We also appreciate the use of the Coralville Public Library facility. Our next forum will be on March 23rd from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. at North Liberty City Hall. So please join us.